Welcome, everyone. Dr. Anthony Crenita Fourth here, also known as Dr. Finance. Welcome to the Dr. Finance Live podcast, folks. We got an amazing guest today. We got Ken Foster in the house. Ken is an incredible entrepreneur. He's been in the self-help space for, for a very long time. He's doing radio and uh, broadcasting everywhere. So we're going to get to know about, he's got a Voice of Courage show also, I want to point out. But but uh, Ken's going to tell us a little about himself way better than I can in just a minute. Welcome, Ken Foster. Welcome, Ken. How are you, sir? I'm doing great. It's great to be with you here, Tony. It's awesome. Same here, Ken. Appreciate you, man. So um, first, we'll get started. If you can, just do a, maybe a 30-second just snapshot of, of your bio, and then we'll get into your story as well. Sure. Yeah. Well, I'm a uh, best-selling author, a uh, business strategist. I've been a coach for the last 26 years, founded the uh, Professional Coaches Association in San Diego, which is still going uh, strong. Uh, Professional Coach Alliance, I got that name wrong. And um, what else? I'm a uh, triathlete. I also have a show called Voices of Courage, which is syndicated in 185 countries currently, uh, 21 TV stations, a whole bunch of radio stations. So it's all over the place. We've got uh, hundreds of thousands of listeners every week. And what I love to do is I love to be with my family, love to water ski, snow ski. I am uh, love the bike run, you know, those kind of things. So it's a little bit about me and I uh, love to put on summits also. I put on uh, some pretty large summits right now. I've got one that's got, uh, we'll probably have about 350,000 uh, people in that summit. So it's kind of what I do. You know, what what, I, what I'm what i about is really supporting people to uh, see the unseeable, know the unknowable, and do the impossible. I've been doing that for, like I said, a couple of decades. So that's what I do. Nice. Thank you, Ken. All right, Ken. So if you don't mind, I'd love to jump in your story, find out how you became so successful. Um, where were you originally from? Whittier, California is where I grew up. For about 21 years, a little suburb of uh, Los Angeles. And, uh, you know, when I grew up, it was, uh, you know, it was, uh, it was a good time. The neighborhoods, our neighborhood, everybody connected with each other. And we really, uh, you know, I had a lot of friends. And it was, it was a good time to grow up. My, uh, my parents uh, were uh, middle class folks. My dad was a, a police officer. My mom, I uh, was stay at my home mom for most of the time. And then she went on to uh, go into uh, uh, one of the, one of the women that went out and started going to work. She kind of led that path way back then when women uh, weren't really working. Actually, when she met my dad, she was on the Pacific Stock Exchange. So I had a uh, had a good childhood. I had, a, you know, I grew up uh, the strong family and uh, life was good back then. Um. So what, maybe some main stories that you want to tell about. Is there like two or three key moments in, let's say, your first 10 years that, uh, that you remember off the top of your head you'd like to share with the audience growing up? Well, you know, I had, uh, uh, you know, you we've, we've both, uh, at least I know I've had Robert Kiyosaki and Sharon Lecter on my, on my shows, right? Rich Dad, Poor Dad, both of them uh, co-wrote those books, those 14 books that became so popular in the world. Well, I also grew up with a uh, a wealthy mom and a and a poor dad from their background. My mother came from uh, wealth and um, she had an English background. My father came from uh, poverty. Uh, his mom grew up in uh, uh, or his family came from Warsaw, 
and they grew up in Chicago and uh, in the 1929 uh, area. And uh, they sold flowers on the street for a living. So one of the things that my dad, I remember about him, was that, you know, I always wondered about what makes people that, you know, how, who they are, right? What makes you tick? And I'll tell you a story about my dad. He uh, uh, was going through his stuff. He was later on in years. And I was going through his stuff. And I found this little uh, a metal uh, uh, a police officer, like with a little sidecar, a little toy, right? And I, I thought that's interesting that he would hold on to this for, for many decades. As it was an antique. It was 50, 60 years old when I found it. And uh, so I asked him about it. I said, you know, Dad, tell me about this, this toy. And what I found out was that was his only toy he had as a child growing up. So he was visualizing himself being a police officer, a cop, right? When he was a little kid. Wow. And so I asked him, I said, you know, is this, you know, what, how did that toy impact you? And he said, well, I never really thought about it. He said, but I always knew I wanted to be a, a police officer. I always knew that. And by the way, he was a cop's cop. He, uh, he served for 48 years on the Los Angeles Police Department. Wow. Um, you know, he started at the bottom. He ended up as a lieutenant, the detective. And, uh, so he, uh, he knew what he wanted. So the reason I tell that story is because I think, you know, how the power of vision that we, uh, we sometimes take for granted. But, you know, he, you know, with him, with that repetition, playing with that toy over and over again, he, he brought that in. He brought that vision in. He played. That was his joy in, as a child. And it became his joy as an adult, right? So <clears throat> I've always remembered that because vision is so powerful, you know, when, as we grow up. And for me, how I applied that in my life, I was in uh, my early uh, 20s, it was. And I was working for an organization. And uh, this was uh, back when interest rates were going through the roof. And I was buying properties in San Diego for 70, 80 cents on the dollar and working for this company that was paying me, I think, $1,000, $1,200 every time I bought, brought them in a property and bought a property. And I wanted to buy a house. And so I decided that I needed to get outside of the thinking because I'm never going to be able to save enough money at a thousand dollars a pop to, to buy the house. I needed a $30,000 down, down payment. So what I did is I went and found this old company, a set of apartment buildings. It was called the Harmel Arms, 95 units in uh, Southeast San Diego. And um, maybe not the best area of town at the time. And uh, I brought it to him, but I brought it to him. And I was fully prepared because I'd done my homework. I'd done all the, all the numbers on this thing, right? I knew what the numbers were. I knew this thing of cash flow for him. And I brought it to him and they looked at it. They said, you know, I, we're going to buy our first apartment building. I said, cool, I'm going to get my commission. But then they started talking to me and say, well, you know, this is just a transaction. We're just going to pay you the, uh, the amount of money that you uh, normally get. And I heard that and I went, that's never going to happen. So I went home and I remember that vision thing. And I started visioning 
$30,000 commission coming in my way. And I put on a, uh, a song at that time. It was called Super Trooper by ABBA. <laughs> and I would play that song, right? Every single day I'd dance to it, but I'd feel that music. I'd feel and I'd visualize this, this uh, apartment, uh, uh, you know, closing and, and me getting that $30,000 commission. Well, sure enough, the day came, it closed, right? And I walked into their office and they wanted to pay me my standard fee. But I had visioned this thing so powerfully. I had thought about every question that they would ask me and every response that I would be able to give. And what happens, of course, I walked out with the $30,000 commission, was able to buy the property and move my, my wife at the time and my baby daughter that was gone away right into that uh, property. So visioning is so important in my life. At least it has been uh, for me. So I hope it is for everybody. Thank you, Ken. Appreciate the stories. So, so Ken, um, just going stepping back in, you, you want to just tell us maybe some of the key highlights of, let's say, your first 20 years. Were you an entrepreneur then? Did you did you have any different kinds of jobs, uh, business, maybe bus boy or paper boy or anything? Oh, kind of stuff? my goodness. I started out as a, uh, as a, I think my first job was selling Christmas cards door to door with a, a company that, uh, you know, you get, uh, I, I get some certain gifts and things like that. So, I learned to go door to door. And um, that was really, I think, one of the best experiences that I've had as a child that really set me up to be the uh, the uh, salesperson that I am currently today is because I somehow there was courage in me. I overcame that fear of going door to door. I remember it was a little challenging at first. Um, but, you know, so that was my first job. Then I had a paper route. Right. And uh, paper routes were fun. I remember one morning, uh, Sunday morning, I uh, had a it was I was working for a company called the Herald Examiner in in Los Angeles. And uh, that day, the papers were extremely thick. And I remember I was such a small kid as a child that I put those paper uh, papers on my bike and I got out about a mile and the bike chipped over and I couldn't get it back on. So I remember having to go back home and ask for help to get those papers back on, you know, but I, I did whatever it took, you know, paper boy, uh, Christmas cards. Uh, and then eventually I worked, uh, you know, in high school, I got a job in a gas station. I was washing windows, and changing tires and, and uh, doing those kind of things. So, you know, I started out humbly, but, you know, my dad was a big uh, proponent of having a job working. Uh, you know, he, he knew the value of, uh, of a buck and he wanted me to realize the value of, of money. So he always encouraged me to work. In fact, I worked through college um, and I, you know, been working through this day. <laughs> so. Well, that's good. It shows ambition and that you really wanted to earn your own and be independent. That's, that's, that's incredible. Well, independence was uh, always important to me. I, you know, I, I, I considered myself uh, pretty much a, a rebel as a child. You know, somebody tell me to uh, do things that were uh, tradition or custom or uh, things that I would look at and think, this makes no sense. And if things didn't make sense for me, I would always ask questions as to why somebody's doing this. Why is this a tradition? Why are we, 
uh, you know, why are we cooking the same pot, the same, uh, the same dish, the same way? Why don't you make it a little different? Um, that was kind of my thinking as I grew up. I was always questioning things. And uh, I believe that played a, a key role in the, in fact, not only was I questioning things, I had a father who was a cop. He was questioning me all the time, right? <laughs> he was interrogating me, especially when I got into my teen years. Um, but that that led the basis of uh, for writing my first book, which was called Ask and You Will Succeed, A Thousand and One Ordinary Questions to Create Extraordinary Results. Uh, that became an Amazon overall bestseller, which is very hard to do, as you know. And, um, you know, I sold uh, uh, tens of thousands of copies of that book. So, um, but it, that was that was the basis. That was the groundwork to, to starting to think in ways of asking to receive, ask to receive. And, I, you know, as a kid, I was formulating, how do we use our minds to really create success? Uh, I don't think I was conscious of that at the time. But I did remember this as a child. I remember a story when one of my friends that lived a couple houses away, we would always play together as a kid. And I remember one day knocking on his door and he wasn't there. And I sat on his porch and I was really sad. His family, nobody was there. The house was empty. And I was sad and I was feeling lonely. And in that moment, Tony, this wave of peace came over me. I'll never forget it. I'd never experienced anything like it. But it was, it was I would look back today and say it was a, uh, a spiritual experience that I was having. And this wave came over me, this peace. And it I remember it changing my thinking. It completely shifted. How I, at one moment I'm sad and thinking, woe is me. And the next minute I'm just joyful and happy and filled with bliss. And I thought, what is that? What is that feeling? How did that happen? I questioned that for many years. And, um, you know, re, you know, years, years later, I, I understood that, you know, we, we pray from God to God, right? From God to God. I know this isn't a spiritual program, but I'm a spiritual guy. So, you know, it um, it changes. It changed me when I understand that concept also. There's a part of me that has realized over the years that every single thing that happened to me as a child wasn't done to me. It was done for me. And, you know, looking back and, and uh, thinking that, especially times when I was being disciplined or times when I was um, going down the wrong path and, um, you know, I'd, I'd get myself in trouble. Um, all those pieces have been able to mold who I am. And I think we come into this world, I think, um, for, as a spiritual being, we come into this world seeking to find out who we really are, and also who we're not. Uh, the who we're not, I was really good at as a child. I was, uh, you know, experimenting with uh, just about anything I could, you know, with new experiences, uh, with drugs at, at one point, uh, with alcohol, with, uh, 
with women, with you know, all kinds of things. And I was learning about this thing called Ken Foster, the soul, the spirit. And, you know, it's, uh, I think we all go through this. It's a life journey, right? We're all here living. You know, but we're we're a triad being, right? We're physical bodies, we've got a physical bodies, we got a mind, right? And we also have this soul. And when we can align that spirit, soul, and body together in harmony, in peace, what happens is pretty profound. What I see is miracles, magic, and synchronicity showing up in my business, in my personal life my family life, my career, all areas as I tune in to this, that little inner voice that I found way back there sitting on those stairs, uh, that porch of that of my friend. It's that inner voice that when we follow it, it leads to something greater than we've ever thought possible. I bet you've done that, Tony. I bet you've had that experience where you've, you've followed that little quiet, still voice that says, hey, go start a clubhouse room. <laughs> and uh, mind <laughs> if I you pause know, you for a second? So yeah. that moment that you, the story you just said, was that the first time you heard that inner voice? Because I, I find that interesting because I actually remember the first time I heard, they say it goes off around six or seven in your yeah. head. There's a voice that turns on. Yeah, um, that's the first time I remember clearly hearing that voice. Mm. I um, I have a grandson, my my uh, probably my last grandson. I've got twelve uh, grandkids right now, and Josiah, two years ago when he was two years old, we were in his front yard, and he uh, he came to me and he says, "Grandpa, look look up, look in the sky, look at that, look look." And he's two, you know, so he's, you know, he's just I'm like, what? <laughs> so I'm, I'm looking up and um, in something intuitively inside of me, I looked back at him and I said, are you seeing the angels? He said, yeah, grandpa, the angels. He didn't have words for it. I said, are you seeing? Yeah, the angels. And I told his mother about it and uh, my daughter, Brooke, and she says, um, well, you know, last week he, we were down at the beach and he came running to me and he says, mommy, mommy. God's in the sun. Look, God's in the sun. And I'm like, who's this kid that sees angels in the sky and God's in the sun? <laughs> but you know, the point is, if we're not, if we're not uh, uh, discouraged from seeing uh, the the unseeable for most of us, I believe we all come in seeing that. My younger daughters played with individual with it, it, with the. Uh, uh, make-believe friends. I mean, they were real, real for them. You know, I think we all come in that way. Um, whether or not we're encouraged to, you know, to continue to see or not, uh, depends, of course, a lot about our socialization, our family, and that type of thing. But I've sure met a lot of, um, of uh, I'd call them seers, people that can see auras, they can see uh, past the physical reality in, into the uh, realms of the astral. And um, most of them, in fact, I just had one on my show uh, the other day, Tony. Most of them uh, started as a child and they, they, never, they never stopped seeing. For us, we have to practice that. But at one point, I'll just give you a quick story. At one point, um, 
I, you know, I got the concept that what one person could do, anybody could do. It's like, oh, you know, you did that, I can do this. And somebody uh, told me about seeing auras, right? I thought, oh, well, I'm going to figure out how to do that. So I started, I, I took a class on it. I started uh, practicing. And at, at first, I would <clears throat> just look at a person um, with the right lighting and behind, behind that person, when you get really present with somebody, you, you can a lot of times see like a little white light kind of around them. Um, I think most of us have probably have some uh, similar situation, but I was focused on seeing auras because I'd never seen them. And uh, I practiced and practiced and practiced for about four months into this. And I was doing this every day. I was really committed to this. About four months into it, I had a coaching client and I had one-on-one in my, in my uh, office with them. And I got very present with this person. And I was just listening. And all of a sudden, they, their heart chakra opened up and it was completely green. And I'm asking these questions. I'm like, what is? So as I asked different questions, it would take them up and down their chakra. I asked them some kind of uh, uh, some questions that took them into their subconscious mind into a bad experience. All of a sudden, their aura turned black. I was like, wow, that's interesting. <laughs> and then I, <laughs> no, I was like, Whoa. what were you eating that more that morning, Ken? Yeah. <laughs> I wasn't smoking and I wasn't eating. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, it was it was amazing. Mm-hmm. So my point is this though. Yeah. We can we can see things that we've never seen before if we're willing to open our minds. And the challenge with a lot of us is that we get in this comfort zone. We get in this zone that says, I already know how it is. I already know this is a material world. This is the way it is. And there's nothing outside of that. And of course, if you have that mindset, it's a self-fulfilling mindset. But if you have the mindset, you let go of resistance and you say, listen, I'm going to open up to seeing the unseeable. I'm going to open my mind. up. I don't know what that's going to be like, um, but I'm just going to do it. I can almost guarantee that you will, and I will guarantee, you will start seeing things you've you've not looked before, uh, you've not seen before, you've not looked at it because you've not you haven't you haven't you haven't set your mind to see the unseeable and to know the unknowable. Once you can do that, as I you know say with my tagline, Tony, you can do the impossible. You can do things you never thought you could do. Why? Because you're tapping into something greater than yourself. You're, you're tapping into your soul. And we all have one. Um, you know, me, who was it? Uh, Einstein, right? Love Einstein. Einstein said, all I want to know are the thoughts of God. The rest are details. Well, what did he know that we didn't know? Well, Einstein, he was a great contemplator, meditator. He would contemplate. On, he'd ask, he asked that one question, what would it like, be like to ride a light beam of light? He asked that for over 10 years until he came up with E equals MC squared, right? So, you know, we stay in the question, we contemplate, we we allow ourselves to be persistent about it, and whatever you want to have in your life, whether it's wealth, money, business success, you want to have a deeper spiritual connection. What I found with coaching thousands, tens of thousands of clients over the years is that when you use that vision, you start to open up your vision, you start to get clear with 
I'm letting go of seeing the world as I see it. I'm open to seeing things differently. And what will happen is the synchronicity shows up, as I mentioned earlier. The people, the places, the things start showing up to take you on that journey, whatever that is for you. That's kind of long, long answer to a short question. <laughs> no, that was good. Thank you, Ken. Appreciate it. Now, it's, you got a lot of brilliant points, and we're gonna um, we're gonna stare back to that in a little bit. We're we're gonna talk about your books. We're gonna talk about your podcast, and then we're, we got some good questions for you as well. So, um, with that said, Ken, just just getting back to your story, went around the bases. Uh, what, so, what was it like growing up with with uh, your dad, like being um, a police officer in LA for for that many uh, years? I and mean, what what kind of experiences did you have? I'm sure it was a it was a different different life growing up with with uh, someone like that. Yeah. Yeah, he was an amazing man. He uh, he was a man. Uh, my father's name was uh, Donald, my middle name, and uh, he had a heart of gold. I, you know, he he had a heart of gold, and he was brilliant. And he was a cop's cop. You know, he loved being a cop, and um, he he taught me a lot growing up. He taught me a lot. How was it growing up with him? I want to say this, you know, I, I know that I've been here many times. I've lived several lifetimes and I tell people, you know, they ask how it was with your dad. I said, well, I kind of feel like I was paroled to my dad <laughs> from a past lifetime. <laughs> he, he was there for me so many ways. And, you know, he kept me out of trouble. Um, in fact, I had a card growing up uh, that's uh, his business card. And it, on the back of his business card for LAPD, it said, this is my son, Ken, please. <laughs> and, I, <laughs> and I gave that business card uh, to several, uh, several cops <laughs> as, uh, as they were pulling me over for speeding or running a stop sign or whatever I was into at the time. And uh, you don't work. It worked. It, you know, I, I had uh, a couple of times they brought me home to help. <laughs> and but he was uh you know he was he was a disciplinarian but he was a fair disciplinarian he had a heart you know he would you know he'd ground me for doing whatever and then you know a couple of days later he said all right you learn your lesson you you know you really believe that you can you know straighten your ways and and you know keep commitments and and uh you know walk with more integrity and you know, those are my words, not necessarily his. He would say them a different way. He had a different language. But um, he impressed me so much in so many ways. And a lot, you know, it's, it's interesting. I think um, when, uh, when I was 40, I, I told him this. I said, you know, Dad, um, I don't think we really gain much wisdom until we're about 40. And, uh, you know, he thought about it. He said, yeah, you're probably, about, you're probably right. At least you did. <laughs> and uh he uh so he was a good influence impact he impacted my life in many ways and my mother bless her heart she was an uh, amazing woman in in her own right she uh was a woman that uh i would say you know they had the rich dad poor dad my mom was more cool she was uh, in fact in her later years i had to teach her how to hug she never knew how to hug she'd do these 10 hugs said, give me a mom let me let me show you what a real hug is you know, <laughs> finally she's learning 
Um, but she had an English background and she came from wealth and uh, she was very proper and, and wanted things a certain way in a proper way, which um, uh, was also uh, contributed, of course, to how I started thinking. I'm very organized to this day. I'm very tidy and I've always been clean <laughs> hygienically. And, you know, you come into my houses and they're, they're Zen houses, right? They don't have a bunch of clutter and stuff. Um, that came from her. She, uh, she was, um, she had that mindset. And so that it gave me a, a, a good start in life, you know, it really did. And, um, you know, they, uh, even though I was a rebel, I would say in high school, in fact, in high school, uh, I didn't read any books in high school. Um, tell a story out of school. I, my next door neighbor came to me right before I entered high school and he said, Hey, if you sign all your, your parents' forms, um, when you want to cut school, they'll, uh, they'll, you know, you just sign the form. And, uh, so that's the kind of kid I was in high school. So I signed all their forms and I was able to cut school pretty much anytime I wanted because it was my signature, not my parents. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I had a lot of fun with those, those things and, you know, I had a lot of great lessons. So, yeah. And, and can you, you, uh, you eventually went to college. You graduated, and from which college? Yeah, I did. I went to. Uh, you know, I finally, uh, even though I, you know, wasn't the greatest student in high school, uh, you know, I decided it was time to go to school. So I went to a, a junior college at the time. Uh, it was called Modesto Junior College, and uh, you know, I got myself on the dean's list and uh, graduated in a year and a half from uh, from. Uh, you know, I did 60 plus units in a year and a half, got out of there and went into San Diego State, went down there. I actually never graduated from San Diego State. Um, I had, um, uh, let's see, six units to go. And uh, I thought, well, I'll, I'll, I'll get those six units done. But I had another plan. Uh, during school, I had come across a fellow that owned a, uh, the first uh, waterbed store in San Diego. And um, I worked in that store in college and I looked at that and I went to myself, I can do this. This is crazy. This is a trend. I'm going to start a waterbed store. So I borrowed $10,000 from my dad and I opened uh, my first waterbed store in uh, San Diego. And uh, those stores grew to five stores. We uh, did uh, my, you know, made my first million dollars wow. <laughs> in, uh, in uh, waterbeds. And um, so that's kind of how I started my entrepreneurial uh, uh, path. And, you know, uh, looking back, uh, it would have been wise to complete my education. Um, if no, for no other reason, my, my parents had invested in that. They really wanted me to see that, to get that. Um, but, you know, at the time I was a little self-centered and he had other plans. So I went on, uh, you know, to be the entrepreneur that I am today. So how long did the waterbed business last for? And and uh, the waterbed business lasted about three years. And um, I, when competition came in, I learned I didn't know a lot about business. <laughs> <laughs> so I closed those stores, and then uh, I opened uh, a manufacturing uh, uh, company in the waterbed industry. And uh, that business I sold to my brother after about a year. I was bored. I, I didn't want to be in manufacturing. So he ran that for about 10 years until he finally closed it. And you know, he went on to other things. Um, so that's that's kind of where I started there. Yeah. 
What, and what other jobs did you have in your in starting in your 20s? So what, what was your 20s like? From a well, th- those were my 20s. So I oh. was an entrepreneur, yeah, in my 20s. And then, um, you know, after I got out of waterbeds and in and, and, uh, and manufacturing, uh, I was raising a family. And uh, I had a lot of peer pressure to go into, uh, uh, to go to work for, for other people. And, um, you know, looking back, it was so against my nature, but it was so right at the time. So against my nature to work with, uh, work for others. I had all these ideas as an entrepreneur, what I wanted to do, but also had responsibilities. So I, uh, I decided to take a job as a stockbroker, actually as a bond broker at the beginning, selling municipal bonds in San Diego, oh, wow. in a place called ML Stern. And I was pretty good at it. So I was recruited uh, uh, by a company by the name of Smith Barney. And uh, at the time, uh, that company was um, going strong. Um, and uh, so I became a stockbroker. And uh, then I found myself moving into that uh, career path. I changed companies and met a guy that really liked me a lot. He was going, uh, 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 he was a manager of, a, of, of, an organiza- of a, another securities firm called Kroll Whedon. And um, he, he said, you know, Ken, I'm, I'm not going to stay here at Kroll very long, but when I, when I leave, I'm going to take you with me and you're going you're gonna to be one of my uh, regional managers. So I didn't know what that meant at the time, but he did leave. And um, this, uh, this took me into uh, a new realm of my life because he, uh, he asked me to be a manager. And um, he started out in the Bank of America uh, uh, at the time, uh, there was a company by the name of GNA Securities. So GNA Securities had secured a contract with Bank of America to open up their brokerage firm in all of uh, Bank of America. Now, B of A at the time was only in California. Um, so he asked me to go to Northern California and he put 350 branches underneath me wow. and said, here, go figure it out. that's a lot of branches he knew i was an entrepreneur though you know i had that entrepreneur background and uh and so i did so i recruited uh i recruited all the brokers i you know i put in the you know i was very good with communication and building relationships with branch managers and uh soon moved myself up into the regional offices of bank of america working with the regional people in that area a guy by the name of Norm Beyond and uh, Rick uh, Rick Whitman, I think it was, uh, were my uh, were the run, running the whole region, 350 branches for Bank of America. They became my buds, <laughs> and um, you know, and I was able to roll out that program, most successful area of the state at the time. We had uh, my uh, first year, I think we did 200 million dollars in wow. sales uh, through that through that region, and then uh, and then it increased from there. So I got myself there and, you know, I was making some good money and I was at the top of my career, you know, but that's when things changed for me, my friend. Then, you know, I was, you know, and I think a lot of us reached this pinnacle. I, at the time I was 42 and I was in relationships that uh, weren't working. I was estranged from my two children at the time. My wife and I had divorced and she was still in San Diego. And um, 
you know, I was hanging with what I'd consider my lower companions, Tony. <laughs> um, and I was in therapy. I was in therapy at the time. I had been in therapy for a year. And, you know, what happened for me is I was hearing, again, I was feeling, hearing this little voice. Remember that voice way back when? Say everything's okay. Yeah. I was hearing that voice again, but the voice was telling me some different, different things this time. The voice was saying, you've got to feel the pain to make the change. So I take this message to my counselor, who I've been seeing for a year. And I, and I walked in the office, and this doctor had, like, steel blue eyes. And he he's, uh, looks like a Carl Jung. Uh, you know, he's kind of a little heavy set guy. He's in his big chair, you know, on, on his couch. <laughs> And uh, he's Ken. What uh, what can I do for you today? He says, "Doc, doc I'm hearing this voice. You got to feel the pain to make the change." And I swear, this blew my mind. Though he looks at me and he says, "Ken, I can do no more for you. You must follow this voice." <laughs> I was like, "What?" <laughs> and I walked out, and I've been seeing him for a year. I walked out of the office. I'm like, "Well, maybe he doesn't want to see me anymore. <laughs> maybe, maybe he's, you know." But hey, man. You know, uh, that voice was the voice of courage. It was the voice of truth. And I got home and I thought, what is this voice? What's going on here? And it came to me. Another, you know, I started tuning in and said, you know, do the most courageous thing you need to do in your life. And I thought, wow, what's that? And I knew what I'd been putting off. You know, I'd, uh, I'd been uh, partying way too much. I've been chasing trying to be happy. I've been self-medicating on, on uh, you know, prescription drugs, and, you know, cocaine, all kinds of crap. And um, I knew I needed to get that out of my life. So I made a phone call that day, that same day. And um, that evening, I walked into uh, the doors of AA and a big guy by the name of Jim, but hey, welcome home, Ken. <laughs> I was like, cool. So that moment, in that moment, the, the profound wisdom of that, of that counselor, he could have taken my money for five more years, but he was, he, was, he was there to support me with his wisdom. And he knew, you know, I, I think he knew if, if I didn't follow that voice, I was going to live a, 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 just a tremendously wasted life. But since I did, and I stepped into that courage, I was able to change everything in my life. My life got so much better. In fact, you know, uh, I can go into details in that, but what I want to say this with the audience, if there's an area in your life right now that you know, something inside, you know, you need to change. Maybe it's an area of relationship. Maybe you're, you're, uh, you're, you've got an addiction going on to food or drugs or alcohol or sex or whatever. Maybe you've got something going on. Maybe it's a, a place where you need support in your business because you're, you're doing, you're floundering, you're getting stop start patterns, things aren't going for you. You know, maybe it's in uh, your relationship with your, your husband or wife or significant other, or maybe it's just your relationship with yourself. It takes courage to change these things. It took me courage to walk into a recovery because I, at the time, I didn't believe I had any problems, right? But I knew enough that problems leave clues. 
right? Just like success leaves clues, problems leave clues. And problems all stem from the mind. The mind is over our emotions, what you think you feel. The emotions over actions, actions over results, and results over destiny. So at the level of mind, if you've created something that's outpicturing in your life that you don't like, it takes courage. It takes courage to walk into those doors or open a new door. But I, you know, didn't want to get too serious with you, but I, I want you to really think, you know, you know, I started out, we were a triune being, you know, spiritual, mental, emotional, physical, right? Um, if that's you, if that's who you know yourself to be, then you're on a journey like I am. We're all on a journey to remember who the heck we are at the core of our level, at the core of our being, right? Who am I? Who am I? You know, a fellow called me, uh, reminds me of a story. Uh, a fellow uh, was calling his friend, right? And so he got on the phone, called up his friend. He got an answering machine. <laughs> and the friend says, uh, the answering machine comes on and says, who are you and what do you want? And quite frankly, those are pretty profound questions. <laughs> we think about it. <laughs> I, you know, early on, I mean, early on when I was, you know, as a stockbroker, I thought I was my accomplishments. I really did. I thought I was my house. I thought I was my wife. I had married a beautiful lady who was uh, graduated magna cum laude. She was a homecoming queen. She was blonde. She was beautiful. I thought she, I was, that was, that must be me. You know, I thought I was my, my cars, my hair. You know, I thought I was everything outside. I really did. I didn't realize that there was something deep <laughs> in myself that had nothing to do with all that. Right? So if you're in a place where you, you know, you're, you're wondering, who am I? What do I want? Um, we start with looking at the, uh, this, the problems, the symptoms, right? And, you know, as a life coach, I've been doing this with individuals for decades, right? So we start looking at all areas, not, not to put you down and make you feel bad or, you know, there's something wrong. No, 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 there's nothing wrong, <laughs> except what you've created, maybe, <laughs> But there's a lot of right, and we look for the right to be able to help you take your life to the next level. And, you know, I say that because you're, you're delving into my past, into uh, some of the stories with me. And my knowledge and my wisdom doesn't come from just books, right? I've lived this. I've lived this. I've helped tens of thousands of people live a better life as a result of diving into their psyche and really looking at some of the limitations that have stopped them from really generating the, the life of their dreams. Everybody has dreams, Tony, right? We all have dreams. What's the dream that you have inside of you that's been stagnant, that's there, it comes and goes? Well, you know, it's not my dream. That dream was given to you. So how do we manifest that dream? That's the question. And we'll get into that probably later in the interview. <laughs> Thank you, Ken. Ken, you have a brilliant, brilliant story. I appreciate you sharing that. Um, we're, we're just going to wrap it up, and then we'll get into the questions. You're, you're doing great. Uh, just curious, what happened after the working for Bank of America? You quit that, and then you, 
you know, then, then you eventually got into life coach. Where's that yeah, transition well, that brought you full? Pr- yeah, practice? yeah, that, that was a great transition. Thanks for asking. Um, so, <laughs> so I quit. I went, I'm done. You know, I, I got into recovery and looked at my life and went, I'm not doing this thing anymore. I hate doing what I'm doing. You know, at some level, I love the money, but I really don't want to be doing the stockbroker thing anymore. So I walked in and I, and I resigned. I quit. And um, I spent two years. And actually, in the first five years after I quit, I read over 500 books because I thought I was in a book. I thought, I can get I could, you know, and what did I read? I read everything about how the human mind and the human body and human organism ticks and, you know, everything from sociology to psychology. What makes us tick? What makes us who we are? Spirituality, all kinds of books. You know, I just I just immerse myself into relearning again. And reconnecting with the, that that soul inside of me, so that's that's kind of started. But what I did for a living the first two years, I, I didn't do anything. I lived off some credit cards and savings and that type of thing. And uh, then a friend of mine called and he said, "Hey, there's a guy on the internet. His name is Thomas Leonard. He sounds just like you. You should check this guy out." Well, Thomas Leonard uh, was it. Uh, Really, what I consider the the uh, founder of uh, the uh, yeah of modern day coaching. So a lot of people claim that, but Thomas was the one that um, he brought so much to this world. He started the uh, company called Coachville. He started a company called the International Coach Federation, um, which is going strong today. It's the lead organization in the world for coaches, and he um, life coaches, right? Life coaches, yeah, okay. life coaches. Well, life coaches, business coaches. Health coaches, that's the lead organization for, for all of them. It's kind of the umbrella. So um, anyway, so I I decided, you know what? I, I think I can do this life coaching thing after listening to Thomas going on the internet. And then he eventually mentored me. And, um, you know, so I, I thought, wow, I'm not sure how I'll do it, but I'll just do it. I think that's a pattern in my whole life. You know, it's like I'm an action person. I just, I didn't know how I would be a coach. I just, went and did it. And I remember even the first uh, client that I had, uh, he, uh, I had prepared for about three, four days, first client, right? No training, no nothing. I didn't go through life coaching school skills or schools or anything. And he came in, I was so prepared and, you know, I didn't use one of the forms that I had, that I had prepared for him. I didn't use anything. What it was is those, remember I told you I was schooled in questions, <laughs> I started like you, like you're doing with me. I started asking deep questions. And pretty soon we got to the heart of this guy's issue. And he realized what he needed to change just through the power of question. So that's how I started my career. And I'll say this, my first um, my first month as a coach, I created these little cards. And they had my business card on the front, my contact information on the back of the card. It said, if you don't change your beliefs, choices, and actions, your life will be like this forever. Isn't that good news? And I pass that card out and people go, no, that's not such good news. <laughs> Maybe I need to, what do you do? Um, I, I think I had 18 clients or so in my first, uh, in my first month of coaching. But I want to say um, right around a, a year and a half of coaching, I was, I was really good at coaching. About a year and a half, I was dead broke. I didn't know how to charge people. Even though I'd started the uh, Professional Coaches Alliance at that time, I had people around. I just didn't know how to charge. So I was sitting in my one-bedroom apartment in in, uh, Encinitas at the time. 
And um, I was living with guys that were alcoholics. So was like, and, and I wasn't, I, I wasn't partaking any party at that time. I was done with that lifestyle. And uh, so it was painful for me to be in that place. And uh, I'm sitting there. I learned to meditate. And I was meditating. And a friend of mine called me. His name was Eric Laffel. Eric called and he said, hey, there's a guy uh, that I'm working for. You know who that is, Ken. I said, yeah, you're working for Tony Robbins. He said, he's, uh, he's hiring right now. And he, he's hiring somebody to run his coaching organization. I said, Eric. Why would he want me to start and run his coaching organization when I'm, I'm a coach, but I'm dead broke? He said, I don't know, Ken, but just apply. You, he needs you. And so I said, okay. So I, uh, I put together a, uh, a letter and I, a letter that I, was, I rewrote probably 20 times. At the end, it was a letter that was, I was real. I was uh, courageous. And I told him exactly what I wanted. And uh, they tell me that I beat out 500 people to get wow. the job. So I ended up working uh, with Tony. I worked when, uh, you know, I ended up uh, uh, building a department for him that went from three people to 25 and filling up his events for him. I was on stage with him for a while, traveling with him for a while. It was a great experience for me. And I knew, and, and Tony taught me. <laughs> He taught me how to market. He taught me how, it ref how to refine my sales. He taught me uh, how to coach, become a better coach. He taught me a lot about myself. And um, I came out of his organization. I knew it was time to leave at one point. And uh, this is about a year and a half out later. And I've never looked back. I've, uh, you know, the company I started uh, at right uh, outside of uh, Tony, it was called Premier Coaching. That company goes to this day. and. Uh, that's that. That's what happened next. Then I, <laughs> you know, then I started doing what I do today. I started teaching and training and and coaching and writing books and and putting on uh, uh, putting on summits. Yeah. That's incredible, Ken. I actually didn't, I didn't know that part about you. So once you stepped out of Tony Robbins' organization, um, you, I guess you had all the knowledge to to be an entrepreneur in this business successfully because you figured out how to charge people. You figured out how to market people to people, yeah. all, all the little details you might have been missing before. Well, you know, I think that the biggest key Tony taught me was to uh, uh, to create a syntax, as we would call it. And uh, the syntax, you know, Tony was big on systems. And the syntax is a system to <clears throat> create value for the client and enroll them with you. Mm -hmm. I never had that before. In that syntax, I've taught to uh, uh, many, many, many coaches, and I've used it in my practice for you know for decades. And it's uh, it's highly effective, and it's a you know it's not a formula. It's a uh, it's a system to be able to take people down whatever path they need to go down, but to get the value that they need to get to realize how powerful it would be to hire me or hire a coach. So Tony gave me that and I'm forever grateful to, for uh, so much for Tony. You know, he really changed me. I, you know, at the time I took my whole family to his firewalks. My mom walked on fire. My sister walked on fire. I walked on fire, you know, and we, we learned that, you know, 
uh, my family learned. We all learned. My daughter's walked. She still talks about it. We learned that uh, the mind um, is, you know, like I said, over our emotions. So, you know, over our, you know, the mind, the conscious, subconscious, superconscious mind we're talking about, right? And when we learn to master our mind, we can master our, our physicality. We can master our, our reality in uh in 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 all areas of our, our business center so. Th- thank you so much appreciate that ken ken what do you like to do for fun <clears throat> a lot i like to have fun in my life i i, I try to have fun every day <laughs> <laughs> and um i enjoy you know last night we went to we went down to the ocean my wife and I, it was sunset, it was low tide. We, She's dancing around. I'm dancing with her. We're taking photographs. We love doing that. You're still in California, love, right? We're, we're in California. Okay. We're in San Diego. You know, I love uh, I love uh, riding bikes. I have, uh, I have a bike buddy, a uh, couple of them. Um, one of them is, uh, uh, his name is Scott Inslee. He's been a three-time national uh, uh, championship triathlon. Uh, championship he in fact the uh, Ironman champion so he's my bud we we ride bikes and swim together we don't run he doesn't run anymore but I still do and we also uh train with uh, Denise Karenik uh, Denise uh you know I you think did you have her on your show Tony no. Denise yeah okay well Denise is the uh land speed record holder for for all for everybody men and women and 182.6 miles per hour uh, behind a, uh, uh, a dragster uh, at the Bonneville uh, Salt Flat. So what they do is they she uh, they tow her up to 100 miles an hour, and then they cut her loose, and she drafts behind this vehicle up to the world record, uh, which she shattered. It was a 157, I think it was, uh, by a, uh, a guy. It held for about 10 years. She just broke it a couple of years ago. And uh, she's also uh, she's 16 times national bicycling uh, bicycle championship, uh, which is kind of hard to do. Anyway, so she's part of our riding team at the oh. job. You know, we also uh, now and then ride. Uh, you know, ridden with another one. Uh, his name is John Howard. He's a Olympian. Um, he's down here in San Diego. He's a great guy too. So. And, and you were traveling for a while, Ken. Uh, I remember yeah. on like a road yeah, trip yeah. or something. Yeah, my wife and I love to travel. We love to adventure. Uh, our latest adventure was uh, about uh, a fourteen-month road trip, where we uh, we uh, fourteen stayed months. At you said 14? fourteen months. Fourteen wow. months. <laughs> yeah. So we we saw pretty much uh, all the Western United States. Uh, well, we saw a little part of it. There's you know the country's so vast. There's so much beauty in our in our country. Uh, but we traveled in, uh, uh, I think we did uh, somewhere, you know, 15 national uh, parks, something like that. Um, so everything from Glacier National Park, the Yellowstone, the, the uh, Archers, to um, oh, what are some of the other ones? Uh, uh, Moab. Uh, yeah, uh, just just a lot of, you know, beauty and love and, and, and friendship in our life. You know, we traveled to our friends. We were in Taos, New Mexico, climbing the highest peaks over there, um, staying there for a while, enjoying Santa Fe. Uh, you know, we, we, we love to travel. We went, went out and, you know, we, uh, I've used that uh, as a, a partial book tour. So my book, uh, my latest book, uh, which is called the courage to change everything. 
I didn't stop at the courage to change. I went the courage to change everything, daily <laughs> strategies and essential wisdom to awaken your inner genius. What I've found over the years with, you know, with working of all the clients and in my own life as an experiment is that when we change one thing, we change, we can change it all. I remember early on, uh, Tony, when I cut out red meat, my mind went crazy. Like, what am I going to eat? Oh my gosh. It went nuts. Well, it's exactly what my mind needed to do. And I, and what happened is a whole world of foods opened up that I'd never seen in my entire life, right? Just by cutting out one thing. I never forgot that. And so I teach clients that, you know, cut out one thing or change one thing. And as you do, it's, it, you will pretty much change everything. Um, you know, so yeah, anyway. <laughs> Thank you, Ken. No, that's a brilliant, brilliant point. Uh, so Ken, we're going to get into the, uh, the questions, but just one last point I just want to add. So uh, Judy Foster, your, your wife's been also on Clubhouse. I met, met both you guys there. So um, what, what point did you, did you meet Judy? I'm just curious in the story. Sure. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I met Judy uh, out of a personal development class. <laughs> I was in the personal development class. She wasn't. And, uh, you know, this, uh, this woman who was brilliant, uh, her name is Carol Goldstein. And she's down here in San Diego. She uh, taught a class. And at one point, she ran my uh, a pattern. She was looking at patterns in my life, success patterns and failure patterns. And I was in a relationship. And she, she looked at it. She said, Ken, based on your past history, this relationship is going to fail. You might as well know it right now. It's not the right relationship for you. And I've been in it for about three years. And, that, that, you know, I knew in my heart of hearts, I knew she uh -huh. was right. But, you know, it took me a while to let it go. But anyway, in the meantime, she called me up one day and she said, hey, I have this woman I want you to meet. And uh, she took me up to a, a networking event up in uh, uh, Encinitas, California, at a little restaurant called Ro uh, uh, Roxy. And uh, there I walked in the door and there's this beautiful woman. Her name is Judy, uh, Judy Avila at the time. And uh, we met, we connected. She liked me a lot. I liked her a lot. We became friends. She would uh, promote me. She had me speak at her events, and she's always promoting people to uh, what I was teaching at the time, uh, which was a company called uh, Communi uh, excuse me, Speaking Presence, which eventually became Communication Mastery. But I took about 2,000 people through that organization with my partner at the time, Mary Britt, and um, we taught them how to speak in public. It's what I did, right? So anyway, Judy would promote me all the time, and we um, we were friends. And one day she invited me to a party, Tony, and I picked her up in Rancho Santa Fe where she was living. And the party was a, uh, a what do they call it? A Titanic party. Uh, uh, the uh, Titanic, the movie had come out, and uh, the party was on the bay on the yacht. And so I went and I picked her up and she was in a period dress for that time with a white choker. The dress was all white, hair was up. And I opened the door and literally, even though we'd been friends all these years, I never even thought about dating her. I fell in love with her in that instant. And we went to this party, dude. And people, three people came up to us and asked us whether we were engaged or whether the wedding was. We're like, this is so bizarre. So we started dating. <laughs> Started dating after <laughs> Never that. Never happened before, just that day. 
that just that day never <laughs> happened. We never even we never even kissed. stars were aligned that day. <laughs> stars were aligned, baby. Anyway, so that was uh, Judy and I. Uh, then married in 1999. We've been together. Uh, we've founded, uh, started businesses together. We've uh, you know we've been on this life journey together. She's like you said, she's on Clubhouse. She's got uh, I believe 12 rooms uh, right now under the Women's Wisdom brand. They're teaching people how to be moderators in Clubhouse. They teach them how to see the unseeable. We got some psychics in there. Uh, she's teaching them a whole bunch of different uh, skill sets right in those clubhouse rooms. So if you're listening to this, you might want to check out Women's Wisdom on Clubhouse. Yeah, I actually, I followed uh, Judy in a few of those rooms. She, she goes into some really interesting, like um, just like chill out, relax type of stages where they sometimes they put music on, relaxing yeah. music and stuff. And yeah. You know, and you... <clears throat> He'd ask me what I like to do for fun. I got off on a story and I'll just, you know, bullet point you. You know, I love, I, I love uh, spending time with my family. Number one, I love writing books, reading books. I love putting together programs. I love uh, water skiing. I, it's a great, great snow skier. I love the snow ski. And, um, you know, the water skiing, uh, just a few years back, I learned how to barefoot water ski, which is pretty crazy. Um, you know, so I like I like uh, outdoor sports and uh, walking under the stars and traveling. So there you go. Now you know. <laughs> well, tra- yeah, tra- definitely traveling. 14 months on a road trip. Wow, I did two months, and that was just insane. It was across country, yeah. uh, 10,001 miles, something like that. But 14 well, we, months. Yeah, that's a, that's a long yeah time. I get it. So two months, right? Yeah. Yeah, I did two months. Yeah. It, it felt like wow. 10 years. Wow. Yeah, we did. Uh, we did about 38,000 miles, I think it was. Wow. Something like that. Yeah. That's, so, that's, that's a great trip. <laughs> yeah, it was an amazing trip. You know, we uh, we uh, stayed with some friends, B&B, hotels. We what did you have? A, you have an RV or were you um, just? Uh... No, that's not my style. Yeah. No. Yeah, we, you know, we looked into those. and uh, You know, I mean, a lot of you out there would love an RV, I'm sure. But after really spending time uh, in them. And, uh, you know, we looked at trailers too. It, you know, it's just not my lifestyle. Me personally, I like to drive probably a little faster than I should. I like to get there <laughs> quick <laughs> and, uh, you know, and have everything ready for me when I go. I don't want to have to, you know, prepare a stop and you know, do all that. So, anyway, yeah. Curious, did you, um, did you plan around. that out? Because, like, I, I planned, like, every step of that for the most yeah. part. Except yeah. for the daily activities. I planned the general plan and then I lived yeah. in the moment every day. Like how did you yeah. organize a 14-month trip? Yeah. Well, you know, it was uh 90%, 90% um spontaneous, 10% plan. Just the flip side. So we we planned in the beginning where we were going. Um, and then uh, once we headed, once we got to Glacier National Park. We didn't know where we were going to go next. <laughs> <laughs> we we weren't sure if we were going to continue to go to Canada. Or we were going to come down, go down, and, and uh, you know, right at, at that moment, uh, you know, a friend of ours invited us. Hey, why don't you come see me in New Mexico? And we went, okay, we're going to New Mexico. So that's kind of how it's uh, it, it was with that trip. Um, very spur of the moment, but you know. It's it's an interesting uh, experience for for us. You know, we we step out on faith a lot. We believe, you know, in uh, things unseen, and we believe that not only yeah are we at choice, of course, all the time, um, you know, but things unfold <clears throat> when you least expect them. 
And so we'd be staying in a city and thinking, you know, what, what what's next? And all of a sudden, um, you know, a friend of a friend would call and say, hey, you know, so-and-so is living over here in, in Vail. You ought to go, you know, check it out. We're like, oh, okay, well, let's, <laughs> let's go to Vail. <laughs> There's the we, sign. <laughs> We I'll never forget. You know, we ended up in a place called Conifer. I'd never heard of Conifer, uh, uh, Colorado, and um, we're in Conifer, and it's nine thousand feet in the air. We're, you know, we're we're invited to stay uh, with this couple uh, on a river in you know in this in this beautiful place, and so we're there for a while, and then it's time to go. And we're like, well, where are we going next? And you know, and Judy goes, I want to see the aspen trees. And we're like. Okay. So we take this road from Conifer to Aspen, right? And we're up in the mountains. And, you know, had we had an RV, by the way, or a trailer or anything, we wouldn't have been able to take this road. But we're in the heart of the Aspen trees with trunks that are bigger than I've ever seen in my life. And the trees are changing colors the exact day we're going through. And it's just glimmering, right? The whole place is on fire. So we're having those kind of experiences faith uh, combined with um, an open mind and combined with a, a sense of adventure and joy. We just allow it to guide us. And that's, that's how we did it. You know, we're Judy's a planner um, in, in the beginning of our relationship, she'd plan everything out. It used to drive me crazy because I was really spontaneous. <laughs> she taught me to be the planner. So now, you know, so then she'd back off and I'd plan everything. And they probably, I probably drove her crazy. So we probably, we've, uh, we've got the right mix now. We plan, but we also were spontaneous. That's good, Ken. Now, I was just thinking, because you're coming to Clubhouse in a few weeks, and, uh, <coughs> that could be a great topic. I actually ran a room with Jim Cathcart. I think it was How to Make Money and Travel the World or something like that. Oh, yeah. And, you know, like we can incorporate the traveling thing. I mean, that's a... You got tons of experience now with that. That's I, I, I do. And, you know, we designed our businesses that way, by the way. <clears throat> so that was the design part <clears throat> where we, <clears throat> everything is uh, online. Oh, excuse me. One second. Take your time. Take your time. Okay. Yeah. Um, so we planned our businesses so that everything would be online. I guess part of it was planned for us with COVID, right? My wife is doing offline events all the time. But uh, when COVID hit, we had to take it online. So that really freed us up to be able to travel wherever we want and make money at the same time. So that's that's what we did. Thank you, Ken. Ken, your story was brilliant. We're moving into the next segment now. We're, we got some really good questions for you. So uh, let's let's see. We got I wanna, first. I want to start with your books. Okay. So I know you you got a lot of incredible books with incredible forwards as well. So maybe you can tell us a little about that for a minute or so. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. My uh, uh, my first book, which we discussed, was called Ask and You Will Su uh, Succeed, 1001 Ordinary Questions to Create Extraordinary Results. It's on Amazon. And um, that book really came out of my wife, Judy, uh, telling me, hey, you know, wh why don't you why don't you write a book? And I was like, well, I guess if I'm going to be in this space, I probably need a book for credibility and whatever. So I went and took a class with my buddy, John Asaraf. And we were taught by Mark Victor Hansen and, and um, Robert Allen at the time. Wow. And um, they, they taught us about 
about, you know, about how to write a book and have a book that uh, actually sells. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> that's funny. Yeah. That's, that's kind of a key point here yeah. with books. Um, you know, so my first book uh, did well. And then um, I, I decided I, you know, even I, I self-published the first one and which was a good thing. I think I made 300,000 on that first book uh, through the self-publishing. So I was, I was happy with that, but I wanted to get an agent. And so I started looking for an agent. I got an agent and, and they weren't doing anything. So I needed another agent. And um, i never forget. I was at a, uh, a, a seminar in uh, LA. There's this guy there that I had my eyes on, you know, he was an agent for Deepak Chopra and Eckhart Tolle and, uh, uh, a lot of major players, uh, Wayne Dyer, uh, in, you know, in this, in this field. And I really wanted to get him to be my agent. So he was sitting at lunch. I walked up to him. It takes courage to do this folks, by the way, <laughs> I walked up to him. He was sitting by himself and I said, Hey, uh, uh, would, are you taking any uh, clients up? He's like, well, who are you? And <clears throat> he is very to the point. Kurt, ready to go. I had taken workshops on how to pitch my book. So when he threw out questions to me, like, hey, bam, 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 because this guy's a pro in the business, I was able to answer him very quickly. He knew I knew what I was talking about. And he said, yeah, at the end of that conversation, he said, yeah, I'll think about it. Send me your manuscript. <laughs> so I did. And uh, then I pitched, uh, I pitched him a couple more times, and he finally said, uh, okay, I'll take you on. His name was Bill Gladstone. Bill Gladstone is uh, today, today. He's a business partner of mine. He's, uh, he's my agent. He's my friend. Um, and um, he's also done over 10,000 books now. Wow. He might be a great person for your show, by the way. <laughs> yeah. Um, Bill, uh, Bill is, is brilliant. Brilliant guy. So that, that's where I started with, with, with my books. I went self-published and I went published. And um, then after that, I went into collaboration. I had a, 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 I did a collaboration book with another uh, author, and uh, and then I've written several, you know, since then on my own. So the first book, Asking You Can Would Succeed, by uh, Volume One, Asking You Will Succeed, Volume Two, which is the one Bill Gladstone took on. We sold it to Wiley, um, and uh, to this day. <laughs> Uh, let's see. Have I have I earned my royalty out? I'm not sure I have on that one. Um, I'm, I'm not I'm not a big fan so far of, of publishing uh, through uh, publishing companies and self publishing is where I've made all my money. So that's probably where I will stick uh, unless somehow I, I have the uh, platform and fame and get the uh, at least. Uh, probably a half million dollar advance to do a, a book with a publisher. That's that's That would be a minimum at this point. How many books did you do with the publish, publishing company? Um, just one. Just one with the publisher. That was the, they, they schooled me well. Yeah. They, you, they gave me a great advance, but I'm still, you know, it, yeah, the way that works, Tony, is you get you get the great advance, right? In fact, you could do that with your book, but because you've sold enough, they, they'd probably, publisher take you on. They'll give you an advance, but then um, you end up paying basically paying back that advance over a period of time with royalties. And once your royalties hit a certain point, then they finally send you checks. So uh, I'm not a fan of that, me personally. 
So if after that, but but here's the well, hold on before we get to that. So you the one advantage, I guess you would you would admit that is that you got Wiley to publish you, so you were actually published right on your resume that you That's were right. published by a great uh, yeah. professional company, even yeah, though one, one of the top, yeah, one of the top exactly. So, yeah. but then after that, you know, you realize you're an entrepreneur and you sold three hundred thousand copies, you know, in your on your own book, self-published, why would you not go back to your own style? So how, how many other books? Yeah, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't make, I didn't, I didn't sell 300,000 copies. I made $300,000 with my first book, which sold for 30 bucks a piece. And we sold over 10,000 of those. So, wow. Yeah. So that, that was a cool thing. (laughs) That is, that's pretty Um, good. So uh, what was the question? Yeah, how many, how many books did you have after that? What was your oh, okay. Book? So we've had a total of uh, five books. This, this total of five books. Yeah, five books. Yeah. Have you co-authored any other books? Um, I have. Yeah, I've been in. Uh, I've been in some compilation too. You know, if I count those as books, you know, I they, we'd probably have eight books. <laughs> so oh, okay. Three of those. Uh, three of the uh, compilation books where they use you know me and whoever else on the cover and. And, uh, you know, and then they, they get people to pay them to, uh, be in the book. Right. So, yeah, Yeah. I've I've been in three of those. Um, and then your forwards, you have some incredible forwards in your book, I think. Yeah. uh, You know, I got, got the forwards, got the stories around the forwards, (laughs) uh, courageous stories, you know, uh, my first forward, uh, was, uh, written by, by, by Jack Canfield. There you go. <laughs> uh, and uh, <laughs> Jack doesn't write too many forwards. So, um, but you know, uh, I'll tell you what, in the workshop I took with uh, Robert Allen and Mark Victor Hansen at the time, they said to me, if you want to get, uh, especially an unknown author, right? Unknown anything. If you want to get a, a major name to write uh, the forward for you, let them know that you will write the draft and they will do the editing, which is exactly what Canfield did. And when I said to him, listen, I'll write it. You can just edit it. He was like, sure. I made it easy for him to say yes. And it's the same thing with my uh, endorsements early on. I would write the endorsement, send it to the, uh, the avatar and have them edit it, put it in their own work, their own words. <laughs> and uh and get it back. And that's how I got you know endorsements very quickly, by the way. So it's uh one of the uh yeah, I'd say uh secrets of the trade that works highly effective. The, you know, people like myself, when somebody asks me to write something, I I generally say I say, well, listen. Um, give me a draft and then I'll edit it and I'll, you know, give you an endorsement if that's what you like, but I'm, I'm not going to read your book and write the endorsement. I just, I don't have time for that. Just don't. And Ken, the funny thing about like what you just said, you also, while you're making it easy for him, it was actually a better, a win-win for you because you get to write it. Like who, who's going to say better things about you than you? So <laughs> you get to write the book in your, in your frame of mind that to, to, to really, uh, shape it in any direction you want. It, if you agree, exactly. So and but I have to say this, okay. Um, so with Jack, first of all, I had about three minutes with him to ask him this. He didn't know me from anybody. He was coming off stage. Uh, 
I walked up to him and I, I gave him, you know, I gave him the pitch of the book. I told him what the book was about, why he should, you know, what, what I was looking for and would he be so kind? And, and I gave him, you know, I said, I'll write it. It was like three minutes. That was it. That's all I had. <clears throat> he gave me his, uh, you know, he, as a result, he gave me his contact information and I was able to, you know, connect with him afterwards. Right. And get form a relationship. So, uh, you know, I, I say that because, you know, being prepared is everything. When you're asking somebody like myself or yourself, Tony, for an endorsement, if, if they're prepared, they know what they're talking about. You know, I'm a lot more likely to say yes mm-hmm. than no. Um, you know, my second book, I, I, you know, not my second book, my latest book, The Courage to Change Everything, right? That book is a great story. It, it, the, how I got the forward written. That forward is written by Stephen uh, M. R. Covey, and Stephen M. R. Covey doesn't do forwards, <laughs> so <laughs> he. Uh, uh, <clears throat> I was up in uh, uh, in uh, Boise, uh, not Boise, in Salt Lake City, actually in Provo, visiting a client up there, and we were on a hike, and I was in the middle of writing the book. And I told my client, we're, we're up, I don't know, 3,000 foot above Provo at the time. And I'm saying, you know, I'm I, uh, looking for somebody to write the forward to my book. And I said, I, uh, you know, I think Stephen Covey lives up here. I, I, I think he'd be a good candidate. And my, my friend says, well, I know Stephen Covey. I said, no, you do? He says, yeah, they're, we're, we're friends. I said, he says, his name is Vince. Vince says, Let's go down to his house right after this climb, and we'll just ask him to do your form. <laughs> I'm like, well, okay, come game. You know, I said, you know, the book is uh, called uh, "The Courage to Change." You know, everything. Okay, I guess I'll change my mindset and go with you. <laughs> so we go down, we knock on his door, and his wife Jerry comes out in a in a bathrobe and she peeks. Up, and she says, "Can I help you?" Um, and Vince says, yeah, we're Ken's here and I'm here. It's he, Ken wants to talk to Stephen about, uh, about his book. And Jerry says, well, let me, let me ask Stephen if he's available. <clears throat> so she closed the door. We'll wait, wait, wait. She comes back and she says, yeah, yeah, Stephen, Stephen will see you. Come back in 20 minutes. He's in the shower, but he'll come and see you. So we, we go back and, um, and I, you know, and I, I, I walk in the house with him. As we walk in his house, his house is humongous. I don't know, 10, 15,000 square feet. We walk in his dining room table, seats at least 20, right? And um, it's just a beautiful home. And he's there with his family. They're doing a photo shoot that day. So we, we bring, he brings me in. He introduces me to all his family. We get to connect. I finally get the courage to ask him, right? So why are you here? Um, and, and, and he says, yes, right. You know, it does take courage to do these things, but it is not actually no buts. It's courage. But what is courage? Courage, a lot of people think of as something that's kind of, they have, but they don't want that is really. If I ask 20 people, what's courage? Everybody have a, a thought about it. Courage isn't a thought. Courage is a feeling. It's a an emotion. It's an energy, a power, a force within us. 
And when we tap into that force, anything's possible, quite frankly. My, my clients, one of the questions I like to have them ask is, or they set up a goal. And then I'll have them ask, you know, if you were courageous, what are the three most important steps that you'll take towards that goal, towards accomplishing that goal? If you were courageous, what are the three steps you will take to accomplish that goal? I ask them to tune into that courage, right? Courage for most people is undeveloped. It's something that happens now and then. But when we live a life of courage, every day is a new adventure. Every day, in fact, this is an exercise I give uh, young entrepreneurs. I, I say, I want you to go out and create something or do something different that you've never done before for the next 20 days, 21 days. Do something you've never done before for 21 days. Now, a lot of people can do that part. But the second part is, then I want you to go out and I want you to create something that's not here on the planet yet. I want you to go. I want you to do that. Now, for authors or speakers or um, inventors, um, it's it's a challenge to to do that. You know, it's it's like, well, if you're an author, think about writing something that's never been written before. You can do it as long as you tune into your own soul, your own point, that own that small voice that we keep talking about. If you can do that. You can start to generate things that are not here yet. You can bring them in from the ethers and actually bring them into the world. And honestly, that is the basis of entrepreneurship. Being in service, bringing in a product or service of something that will help improve, develop, grow, maybe even inspire uh, another human being to make their life easier, or happy, comfortable. That's really what we do as entrepreneurs, right? But it starts with not necessarily copying what everybody's done, <laughs> but tuning into your own soul and bringing out that uniqueness that is you. So that's what I do to help people to do that. That's brilliant. Thank you, Ken. And Ken, we're going to have uh, two or three questions on courage too. Because I know okay. you like that topic. So, Ken, yeah, I love that topic. Um, just to sum up your books real quick. So you, got, you had five major books. You had yeah. two great forwards. Did you have any other forwards you want to highlight real quick? No, not really. Those those are my uh, the, the ones that I'm uh, uh, really happy about. I, I will say this in, in all of my books. If you read my books, uh, you will see that I have not only great forwards, I have great endorsements. I have endorsements from the top uh, new thought leaders in the, in the world in those books. So the question always comes, well, how did you get them? Yeah, I love to know. How did you do it? <laughs> <laughs> By the way, folks, before Ken speaks, I just want to say there are major publicity people that, that actually teach this stuff, and you got to pay tens of thousands of dollars to do it. To learn this stuff. So, Ken, only share what you feel is necessary. Go ahead, Ken. Yeah. 
Well, I just tell you my story. You know, it's it's been a story of following that little voice. Here's what here's what I mean by that. Um, somebody will bring to mind, let's say Eckhart Tolle, right? And I'll think to myself, Eckhart Tolle, who, who is that, right? Who's Eckhart Tolle? Let me look him up. You know, this person's raving about. It. And I'll look him up and I'll go, wow, I really align with what this guy's saying. He's got a book out there, The Power of Now, his first book was. I really align with this, you know? Um, this would be a great person to get for a endorsement in my book. That'd be awesome. That's usually how it starts. It's just a thought in alignment. But listening to that little voice of, oh, this is an alignment. Usually what happens for me then, because I've set my intention, all of a sudden somebody will invite me to an event. Um, when I met Eckhart, it was an event called GATE, G-A-T, Global Awareness for Transformational Entertainment in L.A. And um, so cool. All right. So now he's there. He's on stage. Wow. How do I get to Eckhart Tolle to see if I can get an endorsement? Okay. Am I prepared? Do I know the name of my book? <laughs> do I remember the name of my book? Do I know if he asked me questions about it, can I summarize it in, in a, a uh, 15, 20 seconds? Can I give him a reason why this would be a really great idea for him? Okay. Does it align with his values? Have I done my research? Do I know who, what he's about? Then I usually have my wife next to me saying, Ken, go, go meet Eckhart. <laughs> and I'm in the audience going, why would he want to meet me? Uh, okay, I'll go. Then I just go. I just do it. I get into action. I get into action and I'm, I'm there on stage uh, right after these events. Eckhart is moving in the crowd. Next thing I know, he's in front of me. And I'm asking him for an endorsement. I'm ready, set. I'm, I'm available. I'm open. I'm receptive. I'm stepping into courage. I'm doing what it takes to get that endorsement. I have a card ready. I, but who cares if I give Eckhart a card? He's probably going to throw it in the trash, right? <laughs> so what do I do? I don't want to give him my card. I want to get his information. Number one, hey, Eckhart. I'd love to have you as an endorsement for this new book that's coming out. Are you are you open to uh, to doing something like that? Well, Ken, I'm not really doing many endorsements right now. I I I don't think that that's really something I want to do. Well, Eckhart, um, let me tell you about this book. <clears throat> this is a book I spent six years writing. It's got the wisdom of the ages. It's got everybody from Einstein to yourself in this book. Uh, to uh, uh, to uh, Plato, to Socrates, to some of the masters. This book has deep wisdom in it. And I know this book's going to make a difference in the world. Would you reconsider or consider giving an endorsement? Well, that's interesting, Ken. You know, I'm, that, that aligns with what, I, what I'm about. Um, sure, give me your card. Well, Eckhart, I don't have any cards with me right now. Could, uh, could you text me right now and then I'll, and I'll uh, text you back and we can connect and I'll by the way, I, you know, if you like, I can write the endorsement and send it to you, and you can just you can just edit it. Would that would that be a benefit? Yeah, Ken, that'd be that'd be great. Uh, yeah, yeah. Here, let me text you right now. 
And uh, that's it. That's my process. That just happened for me the other day. I just did that with another, with a famous actor up in Hollywood. Okay. So now I have his text. Now he's, he's going to be on one of my uh, summits, right? So it's a process I go over and over again. Does it take courage? Yes. Does it take fortitude? Yes. Does it take uh, preparation? Yes. But you can do this. I'm, you know, I'm kind of a simpleton. I just, I just think about what's in it for them. I want to align with them. I want to be a service to them, but I also want them to be a service to me. So I'm always looking for the win, win, win. If I can create that, it always works. Okay. Hope that helps. Ken, that was, that was beautiful. <laughs> that helped a lot. Thank you. For, folks, I, I hope uh, we have probably a lot of audience that are not just entrepreneurs, but are book fanatics as well. And um, authors, new authors, I imagine mostly. Um, so that would certainly be of help. Folks, you always got to, Got to serve, got to serve your way to the top. So um, appreciate you, Ken. Well, well, let me let me just say one thing too. Yeah. If um, if the individual, if somebody wants to reach out to me, and they would like to um, give me their, you know, send me uh, send me an email, okay, or you know, go through you, uh, uh, Doctor Finance. Uh, I have a uh, recorded uh, class that I'd be more than happy to give to them. It's uh, it's about uh, ten. Uh, masters of book marketing. Uh, you might even enjoy this. Uh, there is uh, Janet Schweitzer, uh, who's put me on the hot seat. Who's Janet Schweitzer? Anybody heard of her? Well, she is the with author with Jack Canfield on the success principles. Is probably his most uh, most uh, success one of his most successful books. She is the the the, uh, the marketer that helped Jack get that book in the world. Okay, he puts me on the hot seat, and that's wow. recorded. She gives me all the information, give you all the information on how to get your book out in the world, just like Jack has. There is Bill Gladstone. We talked about him earlier, the number one agent in the world. He's talking about the current, um, uh, the current, what's currently going on in the publishing industry, what you need to do. Um, who else is on there? We've got uh, Marcy Shymoff. Marcy sold, what, 10 million books, something like that. She's on there. Uh, Nancy Erickson's on there, who's a master at teaching new authors. So anyway, if somebody wants to email me um, at uh, Ken, at Ken D. Foster and put in the subject line, book mastery class, I'll be more than happy to send you that mastery class so you can listen to those audios and take your book to the next level. So you, uh, you have a book mastery class where you interviewed yeah. a lot of these legends? Yeah, there's about uh, 12 of them in there that I interviewed. Oh, wow. That's cool. Isn't that cool? Yeah. yeah so I'll give that to you, Tony. I don't give that out very often. So I'll give that to you because it's, I know who you are and I love you. And, and I think your audience will benefit. Thank you, Ken. Appreciate that. That success principle is a great book too. Uh, Jack sent it to me actually when I was in his yeah. mastermind. Nice. Back, so. nice. Nice. And he, and he said too, when he was looking at my book, he, the, my, my uh, second book here, he was reviewing it all. And he's like, you know, this reminds me of my success principles. <laughs> it's, a, it's a very interesting book that he has. So, wow, well, well thank you, Ken. Want to get on track here. We have a lot of stuff I want to cover. I'm going to talk about your podcast next, The Voices of Courage Show, maybe a minute or so. You want to tell us about that, who you've interviewed, uh, your theme of that. And then we're going to get into the concept of courage in a little bit as well. Yeah, sure. Um, the, uh, the podcast show, uh, you know, it's interesting. You're asking who I interviewed on that. Um, let me, uh, I'll tell you, uh, let's, let me tell you about the show first. The show started out, 
about six years ago when I was invited to be a co-host in San Diego on KCBQ Radio, which is the number one talk uh, radio show here in San Diego. It's a Salem network show, uh, the largest talk uh, radio network in the, in the world. And uh, so I started out in radio, I was uh, you know, honed in radio. Uh, from radio, I was an innovator even back then, six years ago, uh, podcasting was just really starting to come in. So I started to learn how to podcast. And then I learned how to stream. I learned how to put my shows on TV. And today we're on all those mediums. Uh, in 185 countries with the Voices of Courage show. If you're curious about the show, just uh, just uh, tell Alexa Cortana or Siri to play Voices of Courage podcast. Okay, It'll when you right say up. that, you know what's happening, right? You're turning on everybody's Alexa. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't want to do that. Don't turn that on now. Don't turn it. do that some other time. Yeah, we want to. We want you here. Yeah. So, but you can do that later. Uh, just write down Voices of Courage. It's simple. All right. Um, who's been on the show? Well, let me tell you about the show. So the show is for you. It's for for you, uh, the amazing entrepreneur, the amazing learner, the leaders, the ones that really want to make a difference in the world. And you'd like to be around the best and you'd like to hear the best. It's the same thing that Dr. Finance does on Clubhouse. He's bringing the best of the best in the world to help you to Listen to their mindset so you can change your mindset and model some of the principles that they're using in their lives so that you can actually realize those principles in your life. That's what I do on Voices of Courage. That's what Dr. Finance does. Some of the people that have come on the show, uh, Stephen M. R. Covey, he'll also be on Dr. Finance's show soon. Um, Sharon Lecter's uh, been on my show. Uh, let's see, Steve Farrell. Who's Steve Farrell? Well, Steve Farrell was a Wall Street, uh, uh, excuse me, Silicon Valley guy who uh, generated uh, millions and millions of dollars. Now he's in the conscious uh, world. He's created uh, something called the Global Oneness Summit that's going to be coming uh, up uh, this year uh, towards the uh, uh, middle of October, Global Oneness Summit. Uh, Dr. Jude Caravan has been on my show. You know, who's Dr. Jude Caravan? Well, she's one of the um, cutting edge leading people in the world for uh, what I want to say, um, not transhumanism, but uh, transfer, I, I guess, deep transformational wisdom and how to tap into that within yourself. I've had uh, Dr. Uh, Dr. Sue Morton on the show. Dr. Sue is, uh, she's, talks about the energy codes, how to tune into your energy. We've had Lynn McTaggart. If you haven't had Lynn McTaggart on your show, Dr. Finance, uh, she's another great teacher. She's got the book out there called The Power of Eight, where she's scientifically shown us now how the power of intention, how to use the power of intention to multiply your results in uh, whether it's uh, two people together or whether it's 10,000 people together, which she's, she's done to change material reality. So she's been on my show. Uh, yeah, Robert Ian, Kiyosaki too. Right? Robert Kiyosaki's been on the show. Uh, let's see, who else? Uh, Tony uh, uh, Tony Durso, he's got, uh, he's got about 30 million followers, uh, hits there right now on his show, the Tony Durso show. 
and uh, who else? Jim Britt's been on my show. Uh, William Treasure has been on my show. Jim Phillips, John Foley. Uh, you know, these are names you may or not know. You might want to look them up. Nick Lowry, the uh, the uh, NFL kicker for the Kansas City Chiefs. He's been on the show. Uh, so we've got, you know, a variety of individuals that uh, Lisa Nichols has been on the show. John Asaraf from The Secret. Both of them from The Secret have been on the show. Uh, this show is a show it's really meant for the audience, right? I do it for the audience so that uh, we can really change. If we change our consciousness and we start to understand that we're not separate beings out there, we're all connected, you know, the, uh, the whether it's the social scientist or the neuroscientist or the quantum physicist, if you study anything that's going on right now, you realize that everything is connected. You and me are connected when we realize that. We can start to live our lives from life lives not of a disconnection, but a life of oneness where we realize, again, that we're all together in this day, right? So that's what I do, too. Uh, th thank you so much. Appreciate that, Ken. Ken, before we go to the next question, you, on stage, uh, I had introduced you to Tim's story. I think it was a few weeks ago with Joe Ingram's yeah, yeah, yeah. clubhouse uh, room. And you brought something up that was really brilliant. T Tim and everyone in the room just wanted to hear it twice. You said something about questions. Now, when you interview people, obviously you have to give them some questions. But the way you had expressed the the state or the the perspective of, of questions, you you came into a different paradigm. Like you looked at it completely different. The why question, the when question. You, you remember that? Yeah, sure. You, can you uh, elaborate on that just real quick? I can elaborate. Basically, on that. restate what you said because it's so <laughs> yeah. great. I want to get wanted to get it on record. Well, let, let me restate it. So, yeah. As I mentioned, I wrote the book of questions. I both that is the book, right? Thousand and one ordinary questions to create extraordinary results in all areas of your life. In, in fact, uh, there's 35 different categories in that book. On the questions to ask. It's was that your third ask. book? I'm sorry to interrupt, Ken. Was that your third book? That was my first book. Oh, it was and your my first second book. book. Volume one or two. So that book um, is called Ask and You Will Succeed. Now, what did I learn about questions? What I learned is that if you know how to use your mind, and you know how to point your mind, okay? Everybody thinks they are their mind. You're not your mind. You have a mind. If you learn how to use your mind, you will get extraordinary results in your life. One of the ways that we use our mind productively and efficiently is by asking the right questions, right? What are the right questions? Well, in my world, the right question is a question that you ask that'll point you in the direction of your, your dreams or what you want to accomplish. What do you want, right? The negative questions that a lot of people ask, you know, such as what's wrong with me? Why aren't I succeeding? Why is this? Why don't I have the money that uh, that uh, so-and-so has? Why Why is my life suck? Yeah, those questions, you'll always get the answer, right? We know this. You'll always get the answer. So <clears throat> I encourage people never to ask a question that weakens you. Don't ask a question that weakens you. Ask questions that empower you. If I were courageous, what are the next three steps to take in my life? What's the quantum breakthrough that I'd like to have in my life? What are 
what is it that I can release right now that's stopping me from generating unlimited success in my life? Those kind of questions, when you step into them and you ask them and you keep asking them, will transform your life, will transform your energy. You see, I want to say this, and then I'm going to answer you what Tony wants me to answer. Thought, <clears throat> thoughts are not individual. Thoughts are universal. We're all tapping into a data bank of thought. You think it's your own thoughts. I can guarantee you somebody in Japan that has addictions going on is thinking pretty much the same thoughts that the guy in LA has that addiction <laughs> going on, okay? Pretty much the same. Also, you know, the success, the, the, the you know, Grant Cardone and Tony Robbins have one thing in common. They tune into a database of success thoughts, right? Ken Foster and, uh, and, uh, and Dr. Finance have the same mindset. We tune into this database and, you know, he's asking me powerful questions. I'm answering them. We're tuning into a database for this answers to come through. What's the database called? Uh, you know, some people call it universal mind. Some people call it uh, the Akashic record. Some people call, I call it the superconscious mind, the superconscious mind we tap into. So there's conscious, subconscious, and superconscious. All right. Now, when we ask, first of all, let me start with how questions. How am I going to generate a million dollars this year? <clears throat> now, listen, unless you've already done that and you ask a how question, the chances of your brain being scrambled with that is pretty good, right? You ever has to, how, how am I going to do that? So in that book, how questions are fine. There's a point, a point to use them. But in that book that I have, there is not one how question in the whole book. There's what, why, when questions in that, in that book, okay? Now, let's talk about questions. Why questions will take you deep. Think about it. Why is this, why am I going to generate a million dollars this year? Why? And you've got to go deep. Now, if you're going to go deep, go deep. Ask why and then come up with 25 reasons why this is going to happen. It's going to tune into your subconscious, why questions and subconscious, and they'll take you deep. What questions are expansive, right? Think about this. What, what has to happen for me to now generate $20,000 a month? What has to happen for me to generate $20,000? What are the three steps I can take? What, what is the way they're going to expand your thinking? Okay. What if questions? What if this were possible for me? Those questions will expand possibility. What if this happens? What if that? They'll also open your imagination, right? Okay. Where questions delineate time, right? Where is this going to happen? It's, it puts you back into the space-time continuum. Where is this going to happen? Where, where am I going, right? So when you're using questions, you want to be clear with why, why are you using that particular question, okay? 
so that's kind of where I want to go with that. Tool. I, th- I think, you know, I want, I want people to become more aware. If they, if they want more information on the right questions to ask, I encourage them to go check out, you know, my book, Asking You Will Succeed. Um, for me, it was uh, when I wrote that book, I really spent time in refining the questions uh, that would take the mind and point it in the direction of your greatest dreams. And questions are like anything else, okay? You may have, you, you know, we all ask questions, but if you haven't mastered the art of asking questions, you need some schooling. We all do. I needed schooling. My dad and mom were very good at asking the right questions. They taught me, all right? My teachers taught me. And I had a mindset for, for listening because of, of the way I grew up. I would listen to the questions that people asked. And I, would, I realized that, wow, this is the key to creating great success. Ask the right questions. You're almost guaranteed that you will get the right answers. You can ask a question, what is limiting me from generating the success that I want? Stay in that question for a while. I guarantee <laughs> you will start to see the answers <laughs> and then you can take action around it to change. Ken, this, this, is, this is so beautiful. I'm, I'm actually, I, I'm really thinking about building a stage just for this. Forget all the other stuff because I watched how that room responded to this discussion that night. Yeah. Where, 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 I didn't realize, I put it together. You, you, you know, you have, you wrote the book on questions, the, your first book, and then you put it together with your podcast where you have great questions. You're always asking your, your uh, guests um, the questions you asked most of the people to get your endorsements and everything else you've done. Your, your clients, you ask them questions to help them. Like, so wh- like, where did you get a lot of your, your knowledge base on, on questions? Because I agree with you. Questions are extremely important. That's where the overlap. Okay, I, I'm going to be jokeful with you, joking with you a little bit, but I think I, there's some truth to this, right? I think I tapped into Socrates. <laughs> I really do. I, you know, Socrates was a master at asking the question, right? And you know, there's a Socratic method that just, you know, quite frankly, it, it pretty much downloaded through me as I was writing the book. It wasn't that I went out and was, uh, you know, studying other people about how they ask questions at that time with the first book. Those questions started flooding in um, to me, and I just I was writing them out as fast as I could, quite frankly. And um, and then you know the idea came to refine that book, put them in thirty five different categories. So we have a category, you know, what business questions, <clears throat> what are questions on relationship, what are questions on career, what are questions around money and finance, what are the questions on spirituality, what are the questions on on um, uh, on health and fitness. You know, in, in those and those things just started downloading for me, Tony. Now, that was early on. When I started my podcast, I wanted to study the masters of interviewing. Who were the masters in my mind? They were Oprah. They were uh, Larry King. They were Dan we did the Rabbit, same thing. I think right? we was before, yeah. Yeah. Okay. They, they're masters, right? Yeah. So what I did was I started, I, I consciously went to their programs right. and started writing down their most powerful questions that they were asking the audience. Those I haven't put in a book yet. Those I, I use on my show. 
And uh, those are questions I, I listened to Dan Rather while I was interviewing the uh, the musicians of the past. And I, I listened how he would shift the conversation and have them go deep into their childhood, right? And bring out some of the stories like I did today that haven't really been shared, right? Some of the things you asked me today, I, I don't share that much in public, right? And I haven't shared any, uh, some of, none of it in public. So, you know, that's the power of question though. But you know how amazing it is when we can master the questions. Think about your relationships. You know, if you're asking questions that are intimidating individuals, they're probably kind of repelling and you're probably not going to have the relationship that you want. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of people struggle with relationship just for the simple fact that they're asking themselves or others the wrong questions. When you start to tune into your mind, and you're, you, you, you create a garden, you know, just a beautiful mind, the positivity that is you, your own soul. When you can, we can do that by asking things like, well, what can I do to nurture my spirit today? Um, what are three things that I might want to uh, help another with? Where can I be of service today? What what would bring me joy and happiness today? What would bring somebody else happiness today? When we start to nurture ourselves in our minds, right? We ch we change. We tune into, you know, the soul is what I get. You know, the soul in the terms of the yogis. The yogis would tell us the soul is s sat, c h i t ananda, sat chit ananda ever-existing, ever-conscious, ever-new bliss. Well, a lot of us aren't living in bliss. We're, we're struggling. We're struggling with relationships. We're struggling with finance and money and, and our careers. Whoa, stop. <laughs> you know, they tell us we have between 6,000 and 60,000 thoughts a day. Why is that? Well, we think the same thing over and again. Why is that? Because we ask the same questions over and over again, either through our subconscious, right? We've trained ourselves to repetition of these questions. Or we can take charge of the questions and go into asking questions that take us into the superconscious and create a life from that place. It's always our choice, but most people have not understood how to dive deep into the questions that they're asking on a consistent basis. Okay. And Ken, that's, that's brilliant. I appreciate that a lot. This is really, really good stuff. And speaking of questions, how did you get syndicated on TV, podcast, radio, and broadcast in 185 countries, maybe in 30 seconds or so? Okay, 30 seconds. I asked the question, who knows more than I do about radio, TV, broadcast, and and what I did was uh, I put a list of those people together and I created a mastermind group and I was schooled in radio by people that knew a lot more about radio than me. We met weekly. I was schooled in podcast. I created a group around that. They schooled me in podcast. I did the same thing and I have a, a, a current group in TV where I have owners of TV networks around me. That's how I did it. And so they taught me, they schooled me. And uh, because we're partners and collaborators, I help them build their business. They're helping me build my business. That's what I do. That's brilliant. Thank you, Ken. Appreciate that. Ken, next question. 
What is the role of life coaches? Maybe in 30 seconds. I got I got two or three, let me see, yeah. three questions on life coaches. We'll start with that one first. The role of the life coach is to <clears throat> ask powerful questions and allow you, the uh, the coachee, <clears throat> to get your own answers and then to hold you accountable <clears throat> so that you can take those answers and start to manifest them in your life so that you can live a life of, let's say, all tens in career and spirituality and health and fitness and finance and relationship with yourself and with others, with your significant others. That's what a role of a life coach is. And if you don't have one, <clears throat> you're missing the boat because we're all growing, evolving and developing. And uh, the top life coaches, such as myself, a master life coach, will help you to overcome any challenge that you have quite frankly. So hope you'll get to one. That's brilliant. Thank you, Ken. How does one become a life coach? Give me 30 seconds. Well, it, it takes a uh, desire, first of all. You know, if there's something in your heart that says, you know what, I people trust me. I have an ability to uh, listen and be with individuals. Then you can go several routes. Uh, one route is you can call the, contact the International Coach Federation and uh, sign up for the, some of their programs. You can also go, that's, that's one end of the spectrum. The other end is you can go on Udemy, U-D-E-M-Y. <clears throat> There's a life coaching course up there that's a uh, hundred and something, uh, 15, 20 minute segments. At the end, you get a certificate and it's uh, very inexpensive. So you can coach, uh, you can go up there and, and uh, Google life coaching and you'll, you'll find that one. Thank you, Ken. Next question, if you could humor, humor me with this one. How many life coaches can the world sustain? Now, let me preface that question. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm new to this whole life coaching thing, but it just seems yeah. uh, since I got, you know, on Clubhouse when I started finding out about it, um, it seems like there's so many. There's a floodgate of life coaches. And from yeah. what I hear, it's like going that's exponential every year. The number just keeps going up and yeah. up. Like at what point can we have the whole 8 billion people being life coaches? Well, I don't know if we have 8 billion people being a life coach, <laughs> but I, I'd sure like to see 8 billion people being touched by life coaching. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. um, life coaches have, uh, uh, a lot of them have a, a skill set to be able to help you change your consciousness and change in ways that improve your life tremendously. So, yeah, you know, and, and here's the thing. Life coaching started out in general life coaching. Now it's very specialized. You know, there's <clears throat> there's everything from, health coaching to technical coaching uh, on your on your tech business, right? There's all kinds of coaches. So get clear with what you want, right? Get clear with what it is that you would really like to, to uh, have change in your life. Maybe you need a relationship coach. Maybe you need a finance coach like Dr. Finance. Maybe you need a coach on, on um, uh, starting your business uh, like myself. I'm, I'm brilliant at that, helping people start businesses. I'm also brilliant in helping them really expand their possibilities. So you can, you can do this if, again, ask right now in my life, what's the highest and best for me in terms of my own personal evolution and growth? Where do I need to grow, develop, and, and change? And when you get the answer, find a life coach that will help you in that area. Thank you. Thank you, Ken. Appreciate that. Last question on life, coaches, life coaching uh, ties you specifically. Can you give some uh, examples of some of the things that you teach as a life coach especially to the rich and famous. So I know you got a lot of uh, very uh, interesting clients, celebs, celebrities of all sorts, and some rich and famous clients too. So, Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I mean, I, I have clients that are starting out in business, and I have clients uh, that have been with me for years that are very, very successful. I one guy that uh, started with, uh, he came to me, he had $20 million in, in revenues. Now he's got $70 million, right? So, and everybody in between. Uh, what do I teach them? Um, I, first of all, life coaching isn't about me. Life coaching is about you. So what I help you do is through the power of questions, and the, the power of accountability and commitment, and the power of integrity and truth, and the power of courage. What I do is I help you to see the blind spots that you may have for years had, right? For instance, if you're uh, starting out business and all of a sudden you hit a block, where do you turn? Well, a lot of people turn outside themselves and try to get, get uh, you know, hire a new uh, administrator, operations person, what have you. Um, I tell everybody to start within. You've got to start within your own self and shift your own consciousness. Shift your consciousness maybe into a readiness consciousness where you're starting to open up uh, the business and having people ready for action. Maybe you have to shift yourself in the place of allowing new strategies, new systems, new, new people to come in the business. Maybe you want to get rid of uh, turnover. How do you do that? Well, you start running around reading books on turnover or do you choose within your own soul what has to happen for you to understand that it's possible to stop turnover in your business. I had one guy, Tony, that came in and he said, uh, this, in, my, in our business, in the construction business, there's always turnover. And I said, well, what's your turnover? He says, well, we turn over about 80% of our workers every year. So really? Today, that person is still with me, still working with me. We have uh, a turnover rates of less than 10%. Wow. So, you know, it, it starts with his, he had, to, he had to embrace that this is even possible because everybody told him it's not impossible and he had a lot of evidence to back him up. Well, I have a lot of evidence to back me up too. So when you tell me something that I know isn't true as a life coach or as a business strategist, I'm going to hold to my truth and you will come to see my way most, most likely <laughs> because... My truth will get, generate more money for you and more profitability. <laughs> or you can hold on to your truth. You can do that too. It's okay. <laughs> anyway, so if, if that answers your question, that's what I do. That's uh, brilliant, Ken. Thank you, Ken. All right. You're going to love this. Uh, th three questions on uh, courage. Okay. So I saved it for the best for over here now. So wh why is having courage important? Maybe 30 seconds. If you don't have courage, your, your life is a life uh, – which will be mediocre at best. But when you develop your courage, you'll develop that power, that force, that intuition within you that will start to take your life in ways that are uncommon to most. You will step into a place within your life that you will be able to, as I always say, see the unseeable, know the unknowable, and do the impossible. Step into your courage. And you, know, you need help with finding out how to do that. Well, you know where I am. <laughs> Ken D. Foster. <laughs> Thank you, Ken. Ken, where is the source of courage? Like, where, where is this all coming from? Yeah. Courage is a, is a quality of the soul. So it's not a thought. It's a feeling. Courage comes from a deep intuition. And courage comes from, uh, you know, the, the word courage comes from the Latin word cur, which means to speak one's truth, speak one's heart. Courage comes from speaking one's truth and then aligning with actions to make to bring that truth into the world. 
Thank you, Ken. I want to flip this conversation to another level. Is fear important? The con- the emotion of fear. I had a, uh, a client of mine. Um, uh, he was the uh, a stuntman, the, the stuntman double for Tom Hanks. And um, he told me a story around fear that I've never forgotten. I'm going to tell your audience. He said, Ken, when I, when I prepare a, a stunt, there's a lot of fear in it. He said, imagine going up into a hot air balloon, 3,000 feet up in the air. He says, I don't know anything about flying hot air balloons, but I take it up. And he says, then the stunt calls for me to jump out of the hot air balloon on a bungee cord. I jump out. I cut the cord. I free fall to the earth. And at the last minute, I open my shoe. So there's fear on all of that. So he says, what I use, I use fear. I take fear and in every single stage of fear. And he says, as soon as I I prepare for the fear and what I use fear to uh, once I, the fear is gone, I know the stunt is going to perform. And I thought, that's brilliant. So you use fear. So you once you, once you have no more fear, you've laid out the patterns for the stunt to work, and the stunt will now work. We can use fear in our lives the same way. Don't let you don't have fear use you. It's been using you for too long, right? So the opposite of fear in my in my world is faith and courage. You combine faith and courage. You have the ability to do this, to take it to the next level. You just need to tune into it and start taking action steps around it. That's beautiful, Ken. It's kind of like the the fear is like the warning signal. It's letting you know that. Yeah. And Tony, I've, uh, I've got to. Okay. Ken, we're going to, we're going to do a quick, quick uh, questions. We're going to go through some questions, temple questions, 10 seconds each. Can one book change the world? Uh, okay, let's let's. I didn't hear the question. Can one book change the world? Uh, no, but one person can change the world that uh, that puts the principles of that book into play. Thank you. What role has networking played in your life? It plays in my life every single day as we're connecting uh, with each other, Tony. That's how I've grown my business and my life is through relationships. Thank you. Is mentoring important? Who, and who are some of your mentors? Maybe 10 seconds. My mentors have been uh, Yogananda, Paramahansa Yogananda, Tony Robbins, uh, Joseph Campbell, um, and all of my clients have mentored me. And is mentoring important? Of course. Yeah. But what's more, more important than mentoring is, uh, is applying what the mentor teaches in our lives. Thank you. What, what are your favorite financial books, Ken, if any? But business, money? Um, yeah, sure. Um, my favorite financial book is probably Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Love that book uh, by Robert Kiyosaki. And um, what else? Um, yeah, that's all that comes to mind right now. Thank you, Ken. Do we need money to survive? <laughs> well, money is not picturing of uh, what how we use our mind. So do we need our mind to survive? Absolutely. And if you're using it in the right direction, then you will have all the money that you need. Thank you, Ken. 10 seconds. Is finance necessary for everyone? Finance is... The subject of finance, the science. The subject of finance. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. We we need to have financial acumen. We need to understand how money works, how finances work. And there's probably no better teacher than Dr. Finance. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Ken. Ken, uh, how important is having a purpose in business and what is your purpose? Yeah, my, my purpose in business is to make money. 
my purpose in evolution is to evolve my soul, to evolve my, my thinking, to evolve my, my presence, and to be in a place to serve others in greater and greater ways. Okay, and having a purpose is important for business. Would you agree? It's uh, extremely important. Yeah. Thank you, Ken. Two more questions. We're almost done, Ken. What would you like to accomplish in the next 10 years or so? Why? 10 seconds. Well, I'd like to touch the lives of a billion people in some way or another to help them to change their consciousness, change their awareness, and become uh, closer to their divine uh, soul. And what? Well, yeah, go ahead. Oh, thank you, Ken. Last question. What would you like to be your legacy to this world? Maybe 10 seconds. He lived, he loved, <laughs> and he had a, and he left an impact in, in, uh, in the lives of those that uh, wanted to make this place a better, a better place for all. Thank you, Ken. Brilliant. We're, we're concluding now, Ken. I want to thank you so much. I appreciate you being here. Can't wait to see you on Clubhouse. Any last thoughts? Maybe 10, 20 seconds. Well, the, the question that I ask everybody at the end of my show, uh, or most people, is uh, what is your message to the world? And my message to the world would be this. This world is in a chaotic, troublesome place. It can be. But you don't have to live in a troublesome, chaotic place within your own soul. You can find peace and harmony and joy within your own heart. You can create wealth beyond measure. You can have a family life filled with love and joy and happiness, and you can have a sense of peace and, and understanding and wisdom flowing through you on a daily basis. What does it take? It takes asking the right questions. It takes commitment and fortitude, and it takes hanging around with mentors and people that have realized wisdom, not book wisdom, realized wisdom to help mentor you to take your business, your life, and those that you love to the next level. Thank you, Ken. That's brilliant. Uh, where can they find more information about your website, social media, and then we'll conclude. Yeah. So they can find me at kendfoster.com. They can find me at voicesofcourage.us. And they can find my latest book at couragetochange.us and the latest summit at Global Oneness Summit. And uh, that's it. Uh, thank you, Tony. Thank you, Ken. I appreciate you, man. I appreciate you being here. I want to thank you, folks. Don't forget to check out Ken. We're going to see him on Clubhouse in a few weeks as well. So you've been, this is Dr. Anthony Created Fourth. You've been watching the Dr. Finance Live podcast. Here's the website, drfinance.info. Also, don't forget to follow, like, and subscribe. This will be po uh, uh, posted out to 20-plus major podcast directories. We're going to put it up on YouTube, everything. So check it out. And here's my three books, folks. You've got The Necessity of Finance, The Most Important Lessons in Economics and Finance, and The Survival of the Richest. Check them out if you're interested. Otherwise, thank you, folks, again. And we're going to see you on the next episode. Bye-bye now. Thank you, Ken. Bye-bye now. Thanks so much, Dr. Finance. Thanks, Tony.